reading from 1 John 1. This passage is um, entitled The Incarnation of the Word of Life. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Thanks, Nicole, and morning, everyone. Good to see you all this morning again. Well, uh, this morning, we're asking the question, what is Christianity? Uh, Which, hopefully, if you are new or visiting with us today, that's going to be a really helpful question to consider. What what is this all about that we we do here? But even if you're not, uh, the reminder of what is at the heart of our faith can only ever be a good thing. So what is Christianity? I think that the best way to answer that question is to say that Christianity is like one big dinner party. It's one big dinner party. It's about enjoying great food, uh, or miraculous food for that matter, and enjoying it with other people. So think of the the, the best dinner party you've ever been to. Uh, Perhaps a a birthday, maybe a wedding, uh, or really just one of those great casual evenings with friends. Good food, good company, good conversation, good fun, maybe some games. Well, I want to say that the Christian faith is all of that and more. The food is, is the content. It's the, the message of Christianity. It's the gospel, which means good news. And the company is the Christian community. It's all the people who share that message and enjoy it together. In fact, the enjoyment of the food is, is multiplied because it's enjoyed with others. And so that's Christianity in a metaphorical nutshell. And that's what we discover in this opening passage of John's first letter. It's a letter which was written to the Christians uh, of John's day and by a man, this man, who was uh, both a student and a close friend of Jesus himself. And he wrote, as well as some letters, he wrote one of the biblical accounts of Jesus' life. And by the way, if you found that passage to be a little bit confusing, a little bit all over the place, uh, you're not alone. John tends to do that kind of thing. He likes to jump between key themes and key words in a, in a very unique sort of logic. And these verses are, are a bit like a microcosm of the whole letter, which kind of goes here and there and back again. Uh, but yet it has and maintains a, a very elegant logic nonetheless. But this is also how it goes with the Bible. After all, the Bible was written by real people in real places and real times. And, you know, each of the books carries a bit of a unique slant or style. So anyway, here's a a possible reading uh, of these verses with a a much more simplified syntax. Uh, John's saying, Our proclamation is about the word of life, which was from the beginning 
which we have seen, heard and touched and which is for our fellowship and our joy. That's the simplified version. And so it's all about the word and it's about fellowship. It's all about the message and the relationships. It's all about the food and the company. It's all about the life-giving communication and the life-sharing communion. So let's start with the first part this morning, the life-giving communication. Don't you love that term, life-giving? It's very positive, isn't it? You know, it's like something you might hear in a, in a shampoo ad. You know, it's got life-giving ingredients, a revitalizing formula, a rejuvenating blend, all combining to make a thoroughly invigorating product. You know, your friends won't recognize the new you. It's a bit of a load, isn't it? Oh, by the way, I had to use that picture. I don't know if you've seen the Dove ad where the bloke uses women's shampoo and every time he walks around the office it does the shampoo effect. And YouTube, it's, it's great. But I want you to think instead of shampoo and conditioner, I want you to think instead of stuff that actually gives life, not just your hair. Things like food. Things like water. Things like oxygen. The message of the gospel gives life like these things. But instead of physical life, it gives spiritual life. Spiritual life which results in eternal life, never-ending life. How is that possible, you might ask? How can words possibly give life? Well, it's because Jesus is the message. He actually embodies the message. He is the gospel. He is the word of life. And so in John's gospel, that is his account of Jesus' life, he starts by telling us that Jesus is the word made flesh, who made his dwelling with us. And throughout that account, he's careful to record all the times that Jesus talks about being life, defining and embodying true spiritual eternal life. And so Jesus calls himself the bread of life, the water of life, the light of life, the resurrection and the life, the the, the way, the truth and the life. All these different things. He is the word of life. He is the communication of God that brings life to all mankind. So that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And yet still you could be wondering, so what if the Bible says that? Why should we trust what the Bible says about Jesus or about the Bible itself? And what authority can this single ancient book possibly have uh, on our lives today or, or on my life? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. We can't accept the Bible as truth without faith, without believing it. In fact, you can't accept anything as truth without faith. But here's something that does help us who believe. The authority of these words are proven in both the message itself and the messenger, or the messengers. So according to John... Firstly, the message is Jesus himself, as we've said. And that Jesus is 
the pre-existent, eternal word of life who appeared in human history. So John says here that the word of life is the eternal life. He's from before, he's from after. He's from the beginning. And he was with the Father. And again, it echoes his gospel where he says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So Jesus is the word. Jesus is God. Jesus was there from the beginning. He existed before his birth. And he was God before he was man. This is stuff that is crucial to our faith as Christians. Critical stuff. But equally crucial is that Jesus became a man. That he entered into history two millennia ago and changed the world. This is what John is referring to when he uses the word appear. The life appeared. The eternal life has appeared to us. He was born by a miraculous conception of the Holy Spirit. He was God become man. And this is what we Christians call the incarnation. God stepping into the world. And so the authority of the message is that Jesus is the God-man. That he is humanity and divinity combined as one. That he is out of this world big and yet humbly steps into this world. And this also points to the authority, secondly, of the messengers. So John says repeatedly that we, and he's referring to he and the other apostles, he says, we have heard Jesus, we have seen Jesus, and we have even touched Jesus. Not just heard, but seen, and not just seen, but, but actually touched. We've seen him with our own eyes. We've, we've heard him with our own ears. We've touched him with our own hands. This guy was fed income. He was true blue. He was, a, he was a real guy, as real as they come. And so the apostles as messengers carry authority because they were eyewitnesses. They were there with him. When you put eyewitnesses on the stand in court, their testimony carries significant weight, doesn't it? You know, unless they're discredited as liars or or their word just can't be trusted, it's basically that their word is taken as fact. They were there. They saw it. it. There's no question. And then even more so when their testimony is corroborated by other evidence. The Apostle Paul says that Jesus appeared after his resurrection to all 12 of the apostles and then to more than 500 other eyewitnesses. That's a lot of weight. And if that weren't enough, these messengers have another type of authority. Not only are they eyewitnesses with a solid testimony, they're also sent by the man himself. This is what the word apostle means. It means basically one who is sent with a message. One who is sent with a message. And so this is what we might call an authority of commissioning. An authority of commissioning. It's a bit like if a king you know, entrusts his signet ring to a close advisor. 
And that signet ring can basically issue decrees and can basically speak on behalf of the king. That's, that's authority. And so the apostles, they were commissioned by Jesus to go into the whole world and to teach them about Jesus, as we read just before. That's their proclamation. And this is another word that we find in, in our passage three times. In fact, it's actually the main verb of the whole big sentence. Proclamation. And this proclamation is their commissioned authoritative task. And so what this means is that the whole of Scripture is the written testimony and proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the writings of of real prophets and real apostles in real times and real places, both as witnesses and commissioned messengers. It's the word of life, which carries authority in both its subject, Jesus, and its authorship, its content, and its delivery. Perhaps think of it this way. If a, a drunk man told you, that he saw the Prime Minister and the Treasurer car surfing down Murray Street last night, you probably wouldn't believe him, would you? I mean, it's an interesting subject. It carries a lot of weight. It's like, well, is, you know, is this real? But the messenger has absolutely no credibility. He was drunk. He's just talking crazy. Although you might believe him if he came up to you and said, you know, I just found 20 cents on the footpath. How cool is that? You go, well, yeah, I'll believe you. That's a very light subject. It's kind of boring, a bit lame. But if a close friend of yours told you that they saw the PM and the treasurer car surfing down Murray Street, well, then you might consider that it could be true. I mean, surely not, but maybe. I mean, I trust this person. But then if the next night you saw the treasurer himself on the news confessing to car surfing down Murray Street with the PM and showing a selfie of it happening, well, then you'd believe it absolutely, wouldn't you? That testimony packs a punch. And so it goes with the authority of the gospel and its writers. And then where it gets really interesting is in the ongoing weight of that proclamation still today. Because this word of life is still giving life through Christian witness and testimony all the time, all over the world. More and more and more. Maybe you don't always hear about it. It doesn't make the headlines. It's not on the news. But all over the world, the message is changing lives. It's transforming people. Perhaps it can change yours as well. See, we don't just believe the proclamation is true or or historical or factual. I mean, we do that. But it's more than that. We actually believe that Jesus lives in the proclamation, that his incarnation is kind of ongoing in the proclamation. That just as he lives in eternity and he lived in history, so he lives in the gospel, in the communication, because he is the communication. Can you believe that? And if you are a Christian here, don't forget that your conversations are never just weak words or awkward fumblings. 
Jesus lives in your witness. He lives in your testimony, in your proclamation. He is the word of life. And then he also lives in our fellowship, in our community, in our relationships, which is our second point this morning. Christianity is a a life-sharing communion. This is what the word fellowship, or in, in Greek, the word koinonia, means. It means sharing in something. It means having something in common. And so you can share in food, and, and you can share in entertainment. You can share in sport, a love of sport. You can share in games. You can share in work. You can share in study. You can share in everyday life. You can share in parenting. You can share in so many different things. And you can share in spiritual life, in eternal life, in the word of life. This is what Christian community is all about. This is what the church is. This is the family of God. This is what we baptize our children into. The love of this food. It's what we invite and welcome anyone and everyone into. It's the fellowship around the dinner table around the spiritual food of the gospel. John defines this fellowship in his passage as, or this communion, as as what we share with each other and what we share with God and his son, Jesus. And see, it's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. John doesn't use terms like salvation and uh, you know, being saved, he's talking about fellowship and relationship. And I'll say this to anyone who walks through those doors, Christianity is not about religion. It's not about what you do. It's not about rules. It's not about any of that stuff. Christianity is all about relationship. It always has been. The Old Testament is all about a God inviting people into relationship with him. And he does that through creation and he does that through covenants, as we talked about. And in the New Testament, well, that's all about Jesus inviting us into a relationship with him. This time through his death and his resurrection. Jesus actually says, you know, you're my friends if you believe in me and you obey me. Another time he says, you know, who's my family? It's not, it's not the people I grew up with, it's, it's those who... Believe in me, those who accept my words. And the message of the gospel is all about a reconciled relationship. As we considered in the baptism before, God creates us to be in a relationship with him. But in selfish sin, we tell him to get lost. Get out of my life, I don't want that. And then we're lost, then we're doomed. So then Jesus comes to die for us and to conquer death in order to forgive us and redeem us, to reconcile us back to God again if we believe in him. Hence you get this great plea from Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians. He says, be reconciled to God. We urge you, be reconciled to God. This is his, what he calls the message of reconciliation which is what the message of Jesus is all about. 
You can be most who you were meant to be. You can, you can have the life that you were designed for if you're reconciled with God through his son, Jesus. And so this is the nature of the message uh, as we saw with the kids. It's an invitation. It is an invitation. An invitation to know God, to know him personally, to be in a relationship with me. Saying, come on, you know, it's, it's free. You can have this. It's an invitation for you. It's an invitation for your kids. It's an invitation for anyone. Even those who are most far off. And then that relationship with God puts us in a relationship with everyone else who knows God through Jesus. Later in verse 7, John says it like this, But if we walk in the light, as he, Jesus, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. This is the fellowship of Jesus. This is the communion of the church. This is the gospel community. This is Christian relationship, that we share the message of forgiveness. We feast on it. We celebrate it. And we never stop. We share Jesus himself. We share life itself. This is the stuff that we're going to be exploring as a church in this coming term in small groups together. This is the core stuff of Christianity. The core stuff of Christian community. What it means to flourish in relationships that center on and celebrate the good news of Jesus. If you're new or you're visiting with us today, we'd love to have you along if you're interested. Could be strange, it could be something new or different, but you'd be more than welcome. Tuesday nights, starting this week, 7.30. And we hope that the nights themselves, for all of us, will be an expression of this life-sharing fellowship around the life-giving message. As a church, we believe that this is essential stuff. That the life-giving message, it has to go with the life-sharing community. You can't have one and not the other. You can't have Christianity without relationships and without fellowship. John, in his letter, he talks about Two things that will be left incomplete without both of these ingredients. First, in, in cha- well, later in chapter 4, he says, If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So God's love, which uh, he says in a couple of verses before, is shown in Jesus, is completed in us when we share it with one another completed in us when we love one another. And if we don't love one another, well, then it remains incomplete. Then there's something missing. And we haven't truly got it. And then back in our passage in verse 4, he says that he writes these things, proclaiming and testifying the word of life so that our joy will be complete. Our joy. Again, without this message and this fellowship, our joy, it's left incomplete. What's joy when you don't get to share it? But when we share the joy of Jesus, of the gospel, 
what it means to us, how it changes us, the life that it gives us, well, then it becomes complete. And we see that in a couple of ways. In one way, it's like, uh, like I was saying at the beginning, we enjoy good food even more when we enjoy it with others, don't we? Same with a good movie. So much more fun. Or, or good music. Or a good dance. I mean, you've, you've got to enjoy that with other people. Although alone a dance is, is not a bad thing. I enjoy that once in a while. But we enjoy it more with others, whatever it might be. And it's the same with the word of life. We enjoy it most when we enjoy it together. And then in another way, our joy, it tracks towards the completion of eternity. That eternal life, a foreverness, the life that is given beyond death, that is a life of pure joy. No pain, no crying, no death. Just happiness, just fulfillment, just love, just life. It's pure joy and it's pure communion. Relationships and fellowship without division, without any hatred, without any arrogance, without any separation. We can't even really fathom it in this life, but that's the promise. So this is the spiritual dinner party that we celebrate. The delicious food of the gospel and the enjoyment shared with others. This is Christianity. And this is why we have this symbol, the Lord's Supper. It's what it's all about. You might have also heard it called communion, and that's because it symbolizes the communion, that is the fellowship, the relationship with God and with Jesus. And we use real bread and we use real juice because it's something that we can, that we can touch and, and see and taste. It's physical stuff, but it's to remind us of a spiritual reality. After all, in the, in the same way that food and drink gives us physical life, the body and the blood of Jesus gives us spiritual life. It's not that there's anything special about this bread and juice. It's everyday stuff picked up at Woolies or Coles at some point during the week. But the body and the blood of Jesus, which we kind of just remember through it, that gives us forgiveness and redemption and eternal life. And then this celebration, it's also about the company. It's communion with each other. It's not for individual consumption but for the life-sharing community to enjoy it together, celebrate it together. It's the mutual reminder of the message. And it's the mutual proclamation of Jesus, the word of life. This is why Paul says, uh, when he instructs in the Lord's Supper, he says, when you eat and drink, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim it to each other, you proclaim it to the world around you. That's what it means. Until he comes, until he comes back, as he says, to make our joy complete. So if you believe the life-giving message and uphold the love and joy of the life-sharing community, well, you're invited to this meal. And it echoes the invitation that you have accepted to have a relationship with Jesus. 
If you don't believe the message, or if you don't uphold or participate in the fellowship of the church, well, then we just invite you to be witnesses today. Just in watching and in listening, we hope that you hear and see Jesus at the center of it all. And we hope that you know and feel the invitation to join us in receiving and sharing life in him, in relationship with him and with each other. Shall we just pray? Father, we thank you for the food of the gospel, which is Jesus himself. The message of life, forgiveness, redemption, and reconciliation. We thank you that it, that he gives us life. Not just physical life, but spiritual life, eternal life. We thank you for the joy of Jesus and the joy of eternity. Celebrated now, here, today. And we thank you for the company of of gospel community, of the church. We thank you that you made us for relationship and you urge us to enjoy this meal in fellowship. We thank you for love that's multiplied, for joy that's multiplied, for faith and hope that's multiplied. And we just ask that you will increase it and grow it today. In Jesus' name, amen.